Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. children's fantasy novel by George MacDonald. If you'd like an easy way to listen to these continuing episodes in order, go to snoozecast.com series. When we left off, Curdie had remembered the devious goblin backup plan if carrying off Princess Irene didn't work. They would flood the mines. Curdie's father and Curdie rushed to seal up the mines passageway that connects the goblin and human portions. Working as a team, the miners successfully build a huge buttress to fill the hole which they are confident will hold back the waters that the goblins unleash. We will pick up as the miners leave to go home as a torrential storm rages outside. Get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. was blowing as if it would blow him off the mountain, but, anxious about his mother and the princess, Curdie darted up through the thick of the tempest. Even if they had not set out before the storm came on, he did not judge them safe 
for in such a storm even their poor little house was in danger. Indeed, he soon found that but for a huge rock against which it was built and which protected it both from the blasts and the waters, it must have been swept if it was not blown away. For the two torrents into which this rock parted the rush of water behind it united again in front of the cottage. Two roaring and dangerous streams, which his mother and the princess could not possibly have passed. It was with great difficulty that he forced his way through one of them and up to the door. The moment his hand fell on the latch, through all the uproar of winds and waters, came the joyous cry of the princess. There's Curdie, Curdie, Curdie. She was sitting wrapped in blankets on the bed, his mother trying for the hundredth time to light the fire which had been drowned by the rain that came down the chimney. The clay floor was one mass of mud, and the whole place looked wretched. But the faces of the mother and the princess shone as if their troubles only made them the merrier. Curdie burst out laughing at the sight of them. I never had such fun, said the princess, her eyes twinkling and her pretty teeth shining. How nice it must be to live in a cottage on the mountain. It all depends on what kind your inside house is, said the mother. I know what you mean, said Irene. That's the kind of thing my grandmother says. By the time Peter returned, the storm was nearly over, but the streams were so fierce and so swollen that it was not only out of the question for the princess to go down the mountain, but most dangerous for Peter, even, or Curdie, to make the attempt in the gathering darkness. They will be dreadfully frightened about you, said Peter to the princess, but we cannot help it. We must wait till the morning. With Curdie's help, the fire was lighted at last, and the mother set about making their supper. And after supper, they all told the princess stories till she grew sleepy. Then Curdie's mother laid her in Curdie's bed, which was in a tiny little attic room. As soon as she was in bed, through a little window low down in the roof, she caught sight of her grandmother's lamp shining far away beneath and she gazed at the beautiful silvery globe until she fell asleep. Chapter 30 The King and the Kiss The next morning, the sun rose so bright that Irene said the rain had washed his face and let the light out clean. 
The torrents were still roaring down the side of the mountain, but they were so much smaller as not to be dangerous in the daylight. After an early breakfast, Peter went to his work, and Curdie and his mother set out to take the princess home. They had difficulty in getting her dry across the streams, and Curdie had again and again to carry her. But at last, they got safe on the broader part of the road and walked gently down towards the king's house. And what should they see as they turned the last corner but the last of the king's troop riding through the gate? Oh, Curdie, cried Irene, clapping her hands right joyfully. My king papa is come. The moment Curdie heard that, he caught her up in his arms and set off at full speed, crying, Come on, mother dear. The king may break his heart before he knows that she is safe. Irene clung round his neck, and he ran with her like a deer. When he entered the gate into the court, there sat the king on his horse, with all the people of the house about him, weeping and hanging their heads. The king was not weeping, but his face was white, and he looked as if the life had gone out of him. The men-at-arms he had brought with him sat with stricken faces, but eyes flashing with rage, waiting only for the word of the king to do something. They did not know what, and nobody knew what. The day before, the men-at-arms belonging to the house, as soon as they were satisfied the princess had been carried away, rushed after the goblins into the hole, but found that they had already so skillfully blockaded the narrowest part, not many feet below the cellar, that without miners and their tools they could do nothing. Not one of them knew where the mouth of the mine lay, and some of those who had set out to find it had been overtaken by the storm and had not even yet returned. Poor Sir Walter was especially filled with shame, for to think of that sweet little face down amongst the goblins was unendurable. When Curdie ran in at the gate with the princess in his arms, they were all so absorbed in their own misery and awed by the king's presence and grief that no one observed his arrival. He went straight up to the king, where he sat on his horse. Papa, Papa, the princess cried, stretching out her arms to him. Here I am. The king started. The color rushed to his face. He gave an inarticulate cry. Curdie held up the princess and the king bent down and took her from his arms. As he clasped her in his bosom, the big tears went dropping down his cheeks and his beard. 
And such a shout arose from all the bystanders that the startled horses pranced and capered, and the armor rang and clattered, and the rocks of the mountain echoed back the noises. The princess greeted them all as she nestled in her father's bosom, and the king did not set her down until she had told them all the story. But she had more to tell about Curdie than about herself, and what she did tell about herself none of them could understand, except the king and Curdie, who stood by the king's knee, stroking the neck of the great white horse. And still, as she told what Curdie had done, Sir Walter and the others added to what she told, even Ludy joining in the praises of his courage and energy. Curdie held his peace, looking quietly up in the king's face, and his mother stood on the outskirts of the crowd, listening with delight, for her son's deeds were pleasant in her ears until the princess caught sight of her. And there is his mother, King Papa, she said. See, there. She is such a nice mother and has been so kind to me. The crowd parted asunder as the king made a sign to her to come forward. She obeyed, and he gave her his hand but could not speak. And now, King Papa, the princess went on, I must tell you another thing. One night, long ago, Curdie drove the goblins away and brought Ludy and me safe from the mountain. And I promised him a kiss when we got home, but Ludy wouldn't let me give it to him. I don't want you to scold Ludy, but I want you to tell her that a princess must do as she promises. Indeed she must, my child, except it be wrong, said the king. There, give Curdie a kiss. And as he spoke, he held her towards him. The princess reached down, threw her arms round Curdie's neck, and kissed him on the mouth, saying, There, Curdie, there's the kiss I promised you. Then they all went into the house, and the cook rushed to the kitchen, and the servants to their work. Ludy dressed Irene in her shiningest clothes, and the king put off his armor, and put on purple and gold and a messenger was sent for Peter and all the miners, and there was a great and a grand feast, which continued long after the princess was put to bed. Chapter 31 The Subterranean Waters The king's harper, who always formed a part of his escort, was chanting a ballad which he made as he went on playing on his instrument, 
about the princess and the goblins and the prowess of Curdie, when all at once he ceased with his eyes on one of the doors of the hall. Thereupon the eyes of the king and his guests turned thitherward also. The next moment, through the open doorway, came the princess Irene. She went straight up to her father, with her right hand stretched out a little sideways, and her forefinger, as her father and Curdie understood, feeling its way along the invisible thread. The king took her on his knee, and she said in his ear, King Papa, do you hear that noise? I hear nothing, said the king. Listen, she said, holding up her forefinger. The king listened, and a great stillness fell upon the company. Each man, seeing that the king listened, listened also, and the harper sat with his harp between his arms and his finger silent upon the strings. I do hear a noise, said the king at length, a noise as of distant thunder. It is coming nearer and nearer. What can it be? They all heard it now, and each seemed ready to start to his feet as he listened. Yet all sat perfectly still. The noise came rapidly nearer. What can it be? said the king again. I think it must be another storm coming over the mountain, said Sir Walter. Then Curdie, who at the first word of the king had slipped from his seat and laid his ear to the ground, rose up quickly and, approaching the king, said, speaking very fast, Please, your majesty, I think I know what it is. I have no time to explain, for that might make it too late for some of us. Will your majesty give orders that everybody leave the house as quickly as possible and get up the mountain? The king, who was the wisest man in the kingdom, knew well there was a time when things must be done and questions left till afterwards. He had faith in Curdie and rose instantly with Irene in his arms. Every man and woman follow me, he said, and strode out into the darkness. Before he had reached the gate, the noise had grown to a great thundering roar, and the ground trembled beneath their feet. And before the last of them had crossed the court, out after them from the great hall door came a huge rush of turbid water, 
and almost swept them away. But they got out safe of the gate and up the mountain, while the torrent went roaring down the road into the valley beneath. Curdie had left the king and the princess to look after his mother, whom he and his father, one on each side, caught up when the stream overtook them and carried safe and dry. When the king had got out of the way of the water, a little up the mountain, he stood with the princess in his arms, looking back with amazement on the issuing torrent, which glimmered fierce and foamy through the night. There, Curdie rejoined them. Now, Curdie, said the king, what does it mean? Is this what you expected? It is, your majesty, said Curdie, and proceeded to tell him about the second scheme of the goblins, who, fancying the miners of more importance to the upper world than they were, had resolved, if they should fail in carrying off the king's daughter, to flood the mine and drown the miners. Then he explained what the miners had done to prevent it. The goblins had, in pursuance of their design, let loose all the underground reservoirs and streams, expecting the water to run down into the mine, which was lower than their part of the mountain, for they had, as they supposed, not knowing of the solid wall close behind, broken a passage through into it. But the readiest outlet the water could find had turned out to be the tunnel they had made to the king's house, the possibility of which catastrophe had not occurred to the young miner until he had laid his ear to the floor of the hall. What was then to be done? The house appeared in danger of falling, and every moment the torrent was increasing. We must set out at once, said the king, but how to get at the horses? Shall I see if I can manage that? said Curdie. Do, said the king. Curdie gathered the men-at-arms and took them over the garden wall and so to the stables. They found their horses. The water was rising fast around them and it was quite time they were got out. But there was no way to get them out except by riding them through the stream which was now pouring from the lower windows as well as the door. As one horse was quite enough for any man to manage through such a torrent, Curdie got on the king's white charger and, leading the way, brought them all in safety to the rising ground. Look, look, Curdie, cried Irene, the moment that, having dismounted, he led the horse up to the king. 
Curdie did look and saw, high in the air, somewhere about the top of the king's house, a great globe of light shining like the purest silver. Oh, he cried in some consternation, that is your grandmother's lamp. We must get her out. I will go and find her. The house may fall, you know. My grandmother is in no danger, said Irene, smiling. Here, Curdie, take the princess while I get on my horse, said the king. Curdie took the princess again, and both turned their eyes to the globe of light. The same moment there shot from it a white bird, which, descending with outstretched wings, made one circle round the king and Curdie and the princess, and then glided up again. The light and the pigeon vanished together. Now, Curdie, said the princess, as he lifted her to her father's arms. You see my grandmother knows all about it and isn't frightened. I believe she could walk through that water and it wouldn't wet her a bit. But, my child, said the king, you will be cold if you haven't something more on. Run, Curdie, my boy, and fetch anything you can lay your hands on to keep the princess warm. We have a long ride before us. Curdie was gone in a moment and soon returned with a great rich fur and the news that the goblins had been caught in their own snare. Instead of the mine, they had flooded their own country once they were now swept up. The king turned to Sir Walter and said, Bring Curdie's father and mother here. I wish, said the king, when they stood before him, to take your son with me. He shall enter my bodyguard at once and wait further promotion. Peter and his wife, overcome, only murmured almost inaudible thanks. But Curdie spoke aloud, Please, your majesty, he said. I cannot leave my father and mother. That's right, Curdie, cried the princess. I wouldn't if I were you. The king looked at the princess and then at Curdie with a glow of satisfaction on his countenance. I too think you are right, Curdie, he said and I will not ask you again, but I shall have a chance of doing something for you sometime. Your Majesty has already allowed me to serve you, said Curdie. But Curdie, said his mother, why shouldn't you go with the king? We can get on very well without you. But I can't get on very well without you, said Curdie. 
The king is very kind, but I could not be half the use to him that I am to you. Please, your majesty, if you wouldn't mind giving me a red petticoat for my mother. I should have got her one long ago, but for the goblins. As soon as we get home, said the king, Irene and I will search out the warmest one to be found and send it by one of the gentlemen-at-arms. Yes, that we will, Curdie, said the princess. And next summer we'll come back and see you wear it, Curdie's mother, she added. Shan't we, King Papa? Yes, my love, I hope so, said the king. Then, turning to the miners, he said, Will you do the best you can for my servants tonight? I hope they will be able to return to the house tomorrow. The miners, with one voice, promised their hospitality. Then the king commanded his servants to mind whatever Curdie should say to them. And, after shaking hands with him and his father and mother, the king and the princess and all their company rode away down the side of the new stream which had already devoured half the road into the starry night. Chapter 32 The Last Chapter All the rest went up the mountain and separated in groups to the homes of the miners. Curdie and his father and mother took Ludie with them, and the whole way a light, of which all but Ludie understood the origin, shone upon their path. But when they looked around, they could see nothing of the silvery globe. For days and days, the water continued to rush from the doors and windows of the king's house. Curdie saw that something must be done. He spoke to his father and the rest of the miners, and they at once proceeded to make another outlet for the waters. By setting all hands to the work, tunneling here and building there, they soon succeeded and having also made a little tunnel to drain the water away from under the king's house, they were soon able to get into the wine cellar. They built a barricade securely up and then went back to their labors in the mine. A good many of the goblins with their creatures escaped from the inundation out upon the mountain, but most of them soon left that part of the country, and most of those who remained grew milder in character, and indeed became very much like the Scotch brownies. Their skulls 
and their hearts grew softer, and their feet grew harder, and by degrees they became friendly with the inhabitants of the mountain and even with the miners. The rest of the history of the princess and Curdie must be kept for another volume.